This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Lauren Silva-Laughlin coming to you from my home in Dallas, Texas. This week, I spoke to our fearless leader, Rob Cox, who's holed up in Switzerland. Rob wrote a great column about how we could see the U.S. version of Saudi Aramco and other similar massive companies as governments and corporations push for mergers to shore up supply chains and create national giants. And I've looped in contributing columnist and former colleague Edward Chancellor, who also wrote about the slow march towards consolidation and the dangers it has created in the chicken and egg businesses, as well as many others. Happy listening. All right, guys. So you both wrote this week about a topic near and dear to my heart, which is M&A. Um, but it really isn't just about mergers, as we think of them. Um, more of a fundamental shift, I would say, in globalization and capitalism in some regards. So Eddie, let's start with you. You talk about chicken and egg supply chains in your piece, which I think is at this point more literal than figurative, say. Um, How is this really illustrative of of the shift that we're going to see in mergers? Well, um, to step back a minute is what we've seen over recent decades is a consolidation of um of global businesses along supply international supply chains and so forth and people have been complaining about this for a while because monopolies uh have certain harmful effects they exacerbate inequality they tend to be relatively inefficient um, and they tend to invest less and so forth. There's an excellent uh, book that was published last year by someone called Jonathan Tepper called The Myth of Capitalism. And his thesis was that capitalism was really the essence of capitalism was being undermined by the growth of these um, monopolies or oligopolies. Now, what was interesting about the COVID-19 crisis is that we started to see a new, a new dimension, a new problem to the, um, to the growth of oligopolies, cartels, and monopolies, namely that uh, supply chains were being suddenly interrupted. And uh, in, in Britain, for instance, uh, there was a shortage of eggs because it turned out there were only three uh, European manufacturer of egg cartons. So when the, one of them went offline in Denmark and suddenly it was uh, getting very difficult to get, 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 get your egg, have Eddie, your breakfast you have egg. Chicken? 
don't, aren't you in some farm somewhere in the deepest of Dorchester? Where are you? Devon? I do. I, I'm in, in the undisclosed location. Are you have <laughs> I'm, <a> I, <laughs> I'm in semi-lockdown in Somerset. I do have some chickens or bantams, to be correct, which are um, and their breed is called Welsomer, which is the same breed, uh, the same chicken as as you see on the cover of a Kellogg's cornflake packet. But my um, chickens have been having a bad uh, crisis. Uh, three of them a rat poison, um, and that brought them to an end. And the fourth one uh, was snatched by my dog. And uh, so that left me with one. So <laughs> you really didn't have to worry you're about You're highlighting the, the, the need, actually highlighting the need for consolidation in, in chicken production. <laughs> no, I need more diversity. And now we'll get back to, get back to the chicken problem. So there was a, there was shortage of eggs uh, in the shops owing to lack of carton manufacturers. And at the same time, we were seeing in the US, um, it, the, um, a, a collapse in um, pork production um, and in beef production, a really very severe collapse. And that appeared to be due to this the extreme concentration of the, uh, of the US meatpacking in, uh, industry amongst companies like Tyson's and Smithfields and so forth. Um, so all it takes is a few of these, um, these mega meatpacking um, plants to be taken out of uh, operation and you get uh, a, a collapse in the supply of, of, bacon, of bacon and uh, wieners to the American kitchen table, which uh, uh, for Americans is a national calamity. But Rob, you've sort of talked a little bit about how this issue is going to reshape, specifically how this issue is going to reshape deals being done. So on one hand, you've got this really great example of how the U.S. is going to have its own Aramco. But on the other hand, it seems like you're talking a little bit about how companies are going to reshape so that they can fix the supply chain issue. How do you yeah. kind of bring that together? Well, I guess, I mean, I was sort of riffing off Eddie's jam. Um, and, you know, he had this, his piece takes a big look at the, you know, the action, the way to make supply chains more resilient is to actually have more competition, to have more supply, to not, not to consolidate. I'm right, if I'm paraphrasing it right, Eddie. And the problem is that the public, we know how politicians respond to crisis and they won't do that. The problem is what, 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 what we'll see something like we saw after the financial crisis of 2008 and people said, oh, well, we have weak and we have strong the public, the easiest, most, you know, easiest way for politicians to try to deal with some of these problems is to say, let's relax our views about competition and allow the strong to band together with the weak and to create these, you know, virtual, as Eddie calls them, oligopolies or monopolies that are easy, you know, in theory, safer, in theory, easier to regulate. And so that was my point. So after the financial crisis, if you remember, you had the creation of some serious, you know, mega, mega banks. So JP Morgan bought uh, Washington Mutual, it bought Bear Stearns, uh, Wells Fargo bought Wachovia, BNP bought, uh, what was it, Fortis, um, you know, all around the world, uh, TESB bought HBOS to create Lloyd's. Um, you have, you know, you've created these even larger, more systemic um, uh, institutions. We did, of course, do things like force them to have more capital and regulate them in ways that, that arguably has made them safer. We'll, we'll see about that. 
Um, and I think what you're going to have now, look at the distress in some of the most distressed industries in the world right now, and or we can look in the United States. So oil drillers um, in your backyard there in Texas, uh, Lauren, you know, they, everyone out there was doing fine when, when you know, oil prices were 50 bucks a barrel. Now it's at 20 something, they're getting killed. And what do they do? They want, they want uh, help. And the government's going to maybe give them money or free, you know, cheap money. Um, what's probably going to happen is consolidation there. And the argument they'll make is, well, you know, look at them, we're up against a market that's controlled by a very, very large company, Saudi Aramco, with you know, $1.6 trillion market cap. I don't know what it is, 280 billion of crude reserves. You know, that's going to, that'll change the, the whole approach to antitrust in the oil business over time. And so you'll see the likes of a, of a, I don't know, Exxon, Chevron, BP, whatever, these guys getting together. And I think you can, I mean, the point I'm making is there's a, any number of industries that are in similar distress, airlines. Now, going into this, no one would have said that, that having whatever four carriers in the United States was, was, um, was a, created a competitive landscape, but now they're all basically only alive because of government assistance. Do you think, would it surprise anyone to believe that they will go down to three or two airlines? Well, I mean, especially with the taxpayers involved now, and they, they actually have a financial stake in being sure that, uh, that those industries survive. But let's maybe stick with oil just for a minute because, um, in the context of regulation, it's very interesting. I mean, there was some move, at least in the U.S. and other places, to have sort of more protectionist type M&A be approved, even before coronavirus hit. Um, and you can see with the administration having a sort of America first policy, why deals, especially in oil, might go through and they otherwise might not have. Um, but what really is the fallout from that? Like, is this something that, you know, it sounds like Eddie too, what you're saying is that the, the gradual march towards mergers has been really ultimately bad on all levels. We've always kind of known the risks for consumers. We've known the risk for employees, but there's real risk actually for production and, and pricing and other things. Yes. I mean, I, I think the two points I'd make, one is that, um, that globalization has driven uh, the the growth of big business, um, but deglobalization will then drive the return of the national champion. See, the Chinese have been pursuing national champions for a while, while the rest of the world took this liberal approach, saying it didn't really matter where things were manufactured. Now I think people are beginning to understand, particularly in healthcare, that actually it does matter that you have certain essential supplies closer to home. And I think that that means there's another impetus towards, um, towards building uh, larger domestic champions at home. So that, that's one source of, of, of merger, you know, for better or for worse. It's one political drive towards creating uh, bigger companies. And the other factor, which I think people are in danger of overlooking, is that actually the, the, the easiest way to uh, or the greatest push towards um, large companies and mergers is cheap funding. And the Federal Reserve has actually lowered interest rates, um, you know, even lower uh, than they were over the last cycle. And that means that large companies with better credit ratings, better access to the capital markets will be in a, a better position to, um, to, 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 
to issue paper and merge. And, and I think that, I mean, one of the points that Jonathan Tepper makes in his book is that cartels tend to form during periods when interest rates are low. And I, I think, you know, I'm not saying we want this outcome. I'm not saying it's good for humanity. It's probably not good politically because, his, you know, the, in, the Americans in the, a century ago had, had there was strong political feeling that big business was too powerful. Um, in fact, actually, it's probably um, more powerful today than it was in the, in the era of Roosevelt and, and Woodrow Wilson. But, but I, I don't think we can, we, we're in a position to stop the-, the Teddy Roosevelt, that is, the now. trust buster you're referring to. Yeah, I'm thinking of Teddy Roosevelt, but yeah, but yeah. actually, you know, FDR FDR was in the same vein as well. They, they both really took. The but same it's funny view. you say, you know, in your piece, you you point that out, um, and then th you also mention Elizabeth Warren, the U.S. senator from Massachusetts, who has actually had put at least during the um, the primary run for the Democratic nomination, had put this issue of of over concentration of of uh, industrial or or business and power. Uh, on the on the front burner, but it seems to have she's just got nowhere with it. Although I'm sure that there are a lot of people who who would find common cause with that who are supporters of Donald Trump. Um, well, Rob, I mean, we've discussed this in the past. How you told me that Google is all is you know, Google is waiting to be broken up, <laughs> and I imagine Amazon is waiting to be broken up too. They can't really believe their luck. That you know, where why was Standard Oil broken up? Why was AT and T broken up? And why do Amazon and Google have a complete carte blanche? It, and and likewise Facebook. And why is Facebook allowed to take over? You know, all these social networking sites or Microsoft. And, but at the same time, they've actually been companies that have done their service throughout this crisis. I mean, it's hard to make an argument that those companies should be broken up when Amazon is actually the one company bringing people the goods that they need right now, right? So it, you know, can be sort of sympathetic to their cause in some ways. But you They've just done said it, the one job. company, the one company. That is the definition of a monopoly. Yes, and, and, and also, Lauren, you have to bear in mind that we, I mean, no doubt all of us are receiving Amazon deliveries at this time, but it's in part because all the other stores have been closed down. So this is not Amazon, which has a rather fractious relationship with the, with the Trump White House, to say, to say the least, is actually the prime beneficiary of the lockdown. There is, I mean, as my former analyst said to me, it's as if Amazon had created the coronavirus in order to extend its monopoly. There is no business that has done so well. Maybe Domino's, well, it, Lauren's it, favorite pizza. Perhaps, we can get there in a minute. But, but I'm, and I made an argument last week the that call, they should- but arguably, yeah. they've answered the call better than like a 3M say. You know, I mean, really, if you think about global companies and how they've changed in ways that are helpful, um, you could argue that manufacturing back in the 1940s during wartime was very centralized and therefore more inclined to help people in their neighborhoods say. Whereas now you have an Amazon that is under attack for all sorts of reasons, being monopolistic is just one of them. And yet they have probably helped the average person more than 3M has done. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that I would disagree with Amazon being broken up, 
But I'm, I am saying that after this crisis, they've done a fairly good job of showing that they can. Sure, but the point is that is, I think is making is that this was a gift given to them by governments making a decision to lock down every, everyone else who is smaller, doesn't have the capital, doesn't have the advantage that low interest rates give them. Um, and so there is, a, which is my other argument for why they should be paying um, you know, some sort of windfall tax. I mean, the companies that are benefiting from a decision by governments that had nothing to do with companies, um, you know, the, so, but, I mean, the same, ar the argument that as Donald Trump and others have made is it's nobody's fault has another side to that, which is, well, then it's not your credit either to your credit that the, that your business, whether you're Amazon uh, or yeah, other people have true. stepped up. Yeah. Seems yeah, to me that, you know, but so Eddie, but what, can I ask you, Eddie, Eddie what, I mean, how do you, how do you, I know I love you know you have you're good at putting things things in this historical context and thinking about the big picture. How do you think though it will actually play out? Like, what do you think it? Do you think we'll have a replay of and, you know my argument that we'll go back and do the same dumb public policy decisions and allow too much consolidation as a result of this? Or do you think there is actually a chance that that uh, policymakers see the light and you know try to find a way to create competition in more diverse um, supplies chains? Well, um, when I was um, doing the work for the piece I wrote on, on, on oligopolies and, and big business, I, I, called, um, I called up Jonathan Tepper to ask him about his views, because I'd been very impressed by his book. And his, his book came out last year, and it had this sort of optimistic, um, you know, this optimistic um, vision that if only we could get together, we could uh, dismantle big business, um, break them all up, um, encourage um, you know, um, smaller entrepreneurial businesses to come to come forward, and and to um, and and that therefore capitalism could be there could be a renaissance of capitalism. That was the message of his book. Uh, there are still, I mean, I don't know if you've come across it. There's this outfit called The Open Markets. Have you had, come across them? There's this guy who's written another book, which I didn't think is so good, called Matt, Sto um, Matt Stollard. Does that mean anything to you? Written a book called Goliath that came out a couple of months ago, but I, I'm, I, I didn't mention it in my, um, in my piece because I didn't think it was sort of quite good enough. Uh, but anyhow, so there are these advocates <laughs> there are these advocates for breaking up the biz business. But when I spoke to Tepper, he couldn't have been more depressed. He said, you know, yes, I wrote that last year, but it, you know, but all hope has been extinguished by the lockdown. And, and I think the way I see the lockdown is it's really, it's a, it's an extinction event. It's a bit like, um, you know, a, a meteor hitting the earth. And whereas the, when the meteor, Meteor, what 60 million years ago hit the earth it actually wiped out the dinosaurs this is a meteor that hits the earth keeps all the corporate dinosaurs alive and kills off all the little um all the little mice all the little mammals <laughs> have been wiped out and just so leaving we have a diverse biosphere absolutely yeah. i mean and and i and so the question then is is there a political pushback and i do think that elizabeth warren actually sort of understood it <laughs> And she understood the, you know, the, the problems created by over-concentrated industry. And um, one might not agree with all of her, her agenda, but she was definitely, if you will, a sort of 
a progressive populist in the um, in the vein or the of of the Teddy Roosevelts of this world. That was a very common position, you know, 120 years ago. And but the, but for some reason that doesn't get enough traction today. And it, it may be perhaps as Lauren says, you know, Amazon is just simply so convenient that we're prepared to um, so, you know, surrender all our concerns. Um, uh, political concerns, among other things, uh, just for the convenience of having uh, a delivery, um, a prompt delivery of you know whatever you uh, whatever you want. Fresh bantam chicks. <laughs> Wait, Rob. So can I put you on the spot then to answer the same question that you just asked Eddie, which is, do you think that what do you think governments will do, and do you think that they'll succeed in pushing back against this? I I don't think they will. I think I think. You know, I think different governments, you have to look at, I mean, the UK government will have a different approach. Um, I, I guess I would be more pessimistic about the United States where the influence of money in politics is just so insidious at this point. And it means, you know, basically everybody gets purchased. I mean, okay, that's a bit of a generalization, but generally speaking, yes, there's, it's way too easy for business to get its bidding done in the Senate um, and in the House of Representatives. And, uh, and I worry that, that that means, you know, we're gonna go right back to what we did after the, well, that was my whole point of my point. I do believe there'll be a American Aramco that's gonna come out of this and everybody's gonna kind of look the other way on antitrust and all these issues that Eddie and Jonathan Tepper and other people have raised. I don't know if that's gonna be the case everywhere. The, the, you know, the European Union, I think, you know, Eddie's favorite institution is, uh, I think will actually be a vanguard for, for continue to try to fight the good fight on um, on all on this this issue, but at the same time, you have to remember, even before all this happened, the fear of China drove Siemens and Alstom to try to merge their rail businesses to, get, to create a, a true mono, you know a duopoly with the Chinese CRCC, and the, and this was basically fostered by the French and German governments, and it was only the European Commission's antitrust person, Margaret Vestager who was able to apply the actual law and say this is not in compliance with antitrust laws. Guess what, as a result of this crisis and everything, I bet you they rethink those laws themselves. So I'm, can I guess I, I'm pretty can I pessimistic. Can, yeah, can, I, ahead, can I add something, Rob? Is to say there was a piece today in the Telegraph by Ambrose Evans Pritchard who covers uh, Europe from a sort of jaundiced perspective. And he, he makes an interesting point that the Germans Using the um, using their state industrial bank KFW, are actually providing massive subsidies to German industries. While and this is in contravention of 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 European competition law, which has just been put on hold. At the same, the Germans at the same time, no other country is match in Europe is matching the Germans' corporate funding and. Evans Pritchard says, and this is probably something worth following up, is that this puts German positions in a very, German companies in a very good position to consolidate across the rest of Europe, particularly in Italy and other places. And which to some extent is what the Germans did during the austerity imposed on Greece after the European crisis. So this is sort of Eurozone crisis mark two, which is possibly going to be followed by German corporate um, hoovering up of weakened European businesses. That's really, yeah, KFW did, is meant to, I believe, help small and medium enterprises, but it is also turned out to be the biggest lender or to do a huge loan to Adidas the other day, for instance. 
when, and we were sort of puzzling. We, why is KFW lending to Adidas? Why does Adidas need to go to a state development bank, whatever you want to call it, rather than the capital markets? It seemed odd. I think it had something to do with the fact that they didn't have a credit rating. But, um, but it is fascinating to think that. So I think, I think you're right. I think we're, I just don't think, I don't see anyone out there who is going to make the case that their companies, there, you know, any government out there that's going to make the case that its companies should be less powerful. I just don't see that at the moment. And that's, that's how you get yourself into, um, you know, the kind of world that you and Jonathan Tepper described. And I think your, your headline for your story, Eddie, is something like, uh, you'll get, what is it? Something, uh, oh, I should find it, but it was, uh, Oh, it says Eddie's breakfast. I shouldn't because you talked about the eggs. That was probably that was probably a holding title. I should have changed that. Uh, I was I was worried about that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Eddie. <laughs> I totally well, okay, forgot. Wrap up. I, I it have says one big, big is beautiful will also be ugly. Okay, so I have one more quick question then before we wrap up. Just one word answer. Who wins in this? Who are you asking? The tech giants. The tech giants are the, are the clear winners because the lockdown has, again, has accelerated um, our shift into sort of, into a sort of cyber world. I mean, it, it, in fact, actually, if you, you think about it, 20 years ago, the lockdown would have been unfeasible. I mean, whether it's, uh, as, as some column I read yesterday said, it was the worst possibly the worst decision in history, whether it is or not, it would have been an unfeasible decision prior to the, you know, the, you know, the era of net, Netflix, Facebook and, and, and Amazon. And, they, and, and, and you can see that those are the companies that have, have been immeasurably strengthened by the crisis. Yeah, and in fact, right. actually, also, I mean, you, didn't, Rob, you were mentioning that, I mean, there's breaking news to cover this, but the fact is that uh, not just Amazon deliveries, but the fact that Apple and Google are, um, are developing a COVID-19 tracking app, uh, which is obviously going to be better than the one developed by the NHS in Britain, uh, is is making them indispensable. Um, and you know, and as I said in the email earlier to you, once moving towards this sort of dystopian sci-fi vision of you know, the, um, the Tyrell Corporation in, in Blade Runner, or um, I can't remember the one, there's the a single corporation in, in um, Aliens. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> so one is just moving in that direction. It, it, it's, and one is suddenly, uh, the one weird thing about COVID-19 is all these things, you were moving in this direction, suddenly you enter into warp speed. You suddenly sort of, these things have accelerated in a, two months that what might have taken 10 years otherwise to have got there. Yeah, I agree with Eddie. I think, big, I think we wrote the piece Gina Chan wrote last week, um, which was that you know, big tech is going to the, be the big winner. And I would add, not just the fangs or whatever they're called, the one you got to look at is Microsoft. I mean, it is now the largest market cap company outside of Saudi Aramco in the world. It has become critical infrastructure. As Eddie says, we wouldn't have been able to do this were it not for Microsoft or, you know, which has basically provided the infrastructure for all of this stuff. And you add in, you know, Netflix is one of them, Alphabet, Google. Um, you know, I don't really know what Facebook's doing there, but I'm sure they're doing, they're getting more, um, you know, they're, they're getting more of people's time. 
and uh, and Amazon. It's just uh, on, and as you say, it's how it it only is going. They are only going to emerge stronger as a result of decisions that were not completely out of their control. Um, and I think that's where I, at some point there has to be a proper reckoning with how to recognize that we've put out whatever it is we've extinguished the small dinosaurs so that we just have a few brontosauruses out there to figure at least how to how to make sure that we control the brontosauruses <laughs> all right well thank you both this is great thanks lauren thanks eddie thanks, that's our show for this week. A big thank you to Rob and Eddie and hats off to Jamie Lowe in Hong Kong and our producer, Freddie Joyner in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. So long and stay healthy. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.